Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. We are here in full force. Two of us sitting at a table with an open bottle of wine, uh, several CDs, a corkscrew, some pens, well, and, and some mayhem. We won't go down the whole list of everything that's on the table because some of it would shock and dismay you. Yeah, put the detonators away. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> Actually, you can't even joke about that anymore. No, it's not. It's not politically correct to joke about such things. And you know, I guess who can blame them? You know. No, I, I thought it was kind of interesting when I was in the airport last. Um, they even had on the on the monitor saying that you're not allowed to joke about bombs or, or terrorism while well, you you're were, in line. You were never allowed to joke in airports, even long before 9-11. If you said you had a bomb on you, you were uh, committing a federal crime, actually. Yeah, I mean, I could see it happening. I just I never saw it where they actually had a production value thing going on with uh, monitors and actors talking about not joking in line. Yeah, well... It's probably a good idea. Actually, did you hear about that news uh, earlier in the week? Somebody was flying oh, yeah. from Colombia, mm-hmm. and he, what was he, coming off the plane, and he screamed, I have a bomb, and they shot him or something. Yeah, I guess the, the story is he was having an argument with his wife, and he's he was bipolar, yeah, and, and he, he was off his meds. He wasn't and, medicated. Yeah. And was I, I didn't catch it, though. Did they kill him? Oh, they killed him. They, sh- they shot him, because he, he said he had a, a bomb in his bag, and then the air marshal was uh, telling him to stop and put the bag down, and... and he wouldn't comply, and then he reached, right. he reached into the bag, and they started shooting at this him. Is, yeah, and this is one where you have to look at it and go, it's unfortunate, but yep. you know, if an air marshal is holding a gun at you, and I, I recognize that he was bipolar and, mm-hmm. and he was off his medication, but I mean, this is one you can't necessarily blame on uh, someone drunk with power, a cop just shooting you because they want to or whatever. Oh, no. I mean, this was... And it's, he it's, wasn't wearing a sign saying, I'm bipolar and off yeah, my meds. It was, it's a terrible tragedy, but you know, something like that, Unfortunately, it's going to happen every once in a while, but uh, it's too bad it had to happen. And uh, Yeah, a colleague of mine said something interesting. Um, he said, maybe this was staged by the administration so that we can show our power. No one's going to mess with us now. We're killing people on the planes. Yeah, that's what it was. A lot of <laughs> thought going on into that idea, definitely. <laughs> so what do we got? We got, you know what? I want to rant. Rich came over today and, and said, I'm angry. And I think he quoted, uh, what was that film? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. I didn't actually. I think it was Network. That was Network. Yeah, they all opened up their windows and started screaming that. Actually, let's talk about the wine first. The wine. Yeah. We've got a uh, a wine made by a filmmaker, or at least paid by a filmmaker. Francis Coppola, Diamond Collection, Black Label, Clarice. I mean, Claret. Claret. It's a Cabernet in 2003. It's pretty good. Yeah, I'm enjoying this. The um, This is a bottle that I got in exchange for a bottle of vinegar that I pur- <laughs> purchased a few months ago. Yeah, that, that was a little bit wrong. We cracked it and tasted it and immediately uh, said no and opened something else that day. And we didn't even tell you about the bad wine experience we had that day. Yeah, it was so bad. I, I, I didn't sleep. It says here on the on the bottle of wine, you should enjoy this on its own or with fennel-crusted lamb chops or gorgonzola ravioli. Well, it's hard to argue with that. I don't have either 
of course, we wouldn't eat the lamb, but yeah. And I'm not a big fennel fan either, but I like fennel. So here's my rant. Um, rode the indoor bike trainer today. I have several rants, and this is the only real rant. I rode the trainer, and usually when I get off the trainer, I'm warming down, cooling off, and I throw on the TV. It's one of the few times that I actually turn on the TV and watch normal TV channels. And one of those, TLC, TDC, I don't know, I forget which one, was showing uh, a little thing on wild mountain cats that are still around in the U.S. And I was shocked to learn, because I did not know, that you can still hunt uh, mountain lions in three or four states of the West uh, three weeks out of the year, which is kind of shocking to me because they're Mm -hmm. pretty close to endangered. And I just thought it's dumb, and that pissed me off. What really made me mad, though, was seeing the kind of technology some of these hunters are using to hunt these cats simply by having a gun, a high-powered weapon, puts you at an advantage. There's no sport there. But now they're chasing the cats with teams of dogs with GPS transmitter collars. Night vision goggles. Yeah, so when when the dogs tree the cat and the cat's up there on the branch hiding from the dogs, the owners can um, look at their handheld GPS units, go to the coordinates where their dogs are, and then shoot the cat out of the tree. You know what the next step is? They're going to strap explosives on the dogs and then when they get close they'll just detonate them <laughs> yeah but i mean i, I it's I, ridiculous you're right yeah i i i'm just not in the mood for jokes <laughs> after i saw that show <laughs> it's sent it's senseless killing of of the animals it's not like someone is going out hunting deer and using the meat and, and they're sustaining and, themselves and, yeah. right and and keeping some deer populations down so people don't ruin their cars and i i just I don't know. The only word I can think of, it's not sport. It's not sporting. It's cowardice. I mean, it's... that's the only word I can I can come up with. These guys need a life, you know? It's a gorgeous... I love animals. And, and as I've said on the show before, I'm not a vegetarian for ethical reasons. I'm not a PETA guy. I'm not one of those out there, you know, uh, uh, whatever, you know, vegetarian environmental types. But, you know, that's just You're nuts. not a bloodthirsty vegetarian. I am a bloodthirsty vegetarian, <laughs> which is why I use the phrase used the phrase pissed off to describe how I felt Mm -hmm. after seeing this. But I mean, you know, shooting a cat that's treed with a rifle is senseless. It's cowardice. It's, I can't even begin to think if William Shakespeare were here, he wouldn't be able to put into words just how wrong it is to do something like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that, um, I don't think that hunting a cat has to be done at all. Not one bit. I mean, there's nothing well, that you can get out of it other than the pure, quote-unquote, enjoyment Just the trophy of it. of it. Putting the head on yeah. the wall. That's the only thing they're yeah. doing there's, it for. There's no justification for it. And and I agree with you. I'm not. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm not necessarily going to be throwing red paint on people wearing fur coats. I would not wear a fur coat or even come near one myself, but I'm not going to be uh, protesting. But also, you know, I, I just don't see how you could justify killing a beautiful animal like that. Yeah, and they're so close to endangered, and they're just magnificent creatures. I, I love cats. I mean, I love all animals, but mm-hmm. I have a cat. I just love cats, and uh, this just pissed me off, so I was pissed. Yeah, you, when you told me that, I, I just remembered I went to the zoo with, with my kids um, a couple weeks ago, and it was it was just amazing. We were able to go right up to this huge window where they had the, the lion enclosure, and this one uh, lioness, she came right by the window, laid right down, and was just sticking her face right in the window, and we were staring right in her eyes, you could see right up to her uh, her tongue. You can see the texture on her tongue, just like a house cat. Probably they, bristly. They've got these barbs on their tongue. 
amazing, beautiful animals. I can't see putting a gun to them. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. They're just cowards, man. They they're making up for some area where they're lacking. Apparently, I don't know what it is, but maybe yeah. they weren't shown enough love as a kid. Probably. My second rant is not really a rant, but it's it's about the death. I guess I'll call it the death of downtown. You downtown. know, the malls came around, and suddenly those classic places where our parents and their parents shopped went mm-hmm. away. Right, downtowns, and it was you know really cool, but kind of like the heyday. And something in particular made me think of this. There's a store that I'm sure you've heard of. It's in the Utica, New York area called Reed Sheldon. Mm -hmm. Very famous, high-end, upscale gift shop that's been open, um, I don't know, since before the Civil War. In fact... You have the date on (laughs) it? I do have the date on it. The store was originally opened in 1841 by who? Someone named Reed or Sheldon. Ebenezer Sheldon. (laughs) Yep, Ebenezer. It was called Ebenezer Sheldon and Son, founded 1841, and they made um, saddles, harnesses, tack, you know, for horse riding, buggies, and horses Mm -hmm. and riding and whatnot. And as, you know, 1903 passed, I suspect the need for tack for horses and buggies went down with the, with the increase in sales of automobiles, and they got into doing other leather goods and then fine gifts and stuff like that. And yeah, it was founded by Ebenezer Sheldon. It's like it's like a Dickens novel or something. <laughs> they moved to 39 Genesee Street, which is down where Bag Square uh, is now. Well, it was called Bag Square then too. Right. They moved there in 1845. They they put their placed their first newspaper ad in uh, November 7th, 1845, and they have a big blow up of it in wow. the case at the store. And why am I talking about this? Because I had heard they closed, but in fact they haven't closed. It's now called Reed Sheldon and Company, I think. And they have not closed, but they're in a small uh, sort of strip mall shopping center called the New Hartford Shopping Center. And I was doing some Christmas shopping, and I noticed they were having their sort of going out a sale. You know, Mr. Sheldon, I guess, is retiring. Oh. And they're having – I don't want to say going out of business because that sort of implies failure, you know. But they're having their going out of business retirement sale. I I went to school with both of his children too, by the way. Um, But so I went in there, and I bought some cool Christmas gifts for some people I know. And that's where I learned about the great history – of the store, I mean, come on, 1841, they were founded yeah. by the family. And I, I, I think the death of these kinds of family businesses, you know, being brought about by big box stores like, you know, Walmart and all these crappy stores that I tend not to go into, uh, I think it's a shame, you know. They, they were forced <laughs> out of downtown when the malls kind of killed downtown, and they moved closer to the business area of New Hartford where all the malls are. And he did well there for the past 10 years or so. And I guess it's just time to retire. But, I, you know, I, I love... I like going in stores like that. When you go in a store like that, you're waited on hand and foot from the moment you get in to the moment you leave, asked if you want it gift-wrapped, all of these great services, and, it, and it's all going away. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of the times. Actually, it's a sign of the times for the entire uh, 20th century, actually. It's been going this way. People have been going away from downtown, going away from, from individual specialized stores. And, and personalized business. And personalized business and, and customer service, which is something that you just don't see anymore. Yeah, it's all self-serve. And what I lament about this is, well, here's something that I learned. Up until she died, I guess there was a woman who had worked for this company for 50 years. You never see that anymore. Yeah, this doesn't happen anymore. No. You know, it just definitely doesn't happen anymore. And what what was nice about this particular store, Reed Sheldon, was that, you know, if you were buying something for somebody special, you could pretty much always go there and count on getting something cool for them. Mm-hmm. And in the 
converse of that, I guess it would be the converse, was true that if you got a box with a little Reed Sheldon and Company sticker on it, you knew that the person bought you something cool. You were like, wow, I got yeah. something from that store. That's a great store. How cool am I? They got me that, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's... uh. You know, that's my my second minor rant, the loss of cool retail stores. It's a good point because um, there's actually a a slow food movement going on, too, that's that's, um, fighting against the whole fast food movement. And it's just exactly what it is. A restaurant that you go into and you don't get served the food immediately, they cook it to order and they cook your serving and they cook it well. It's fresh ingredients. And the intention is to sit down and enjoy the meal. Yeah. And... The coffee shop that I go to, um, Domenico's, they write uh, this little newspaper called uh, Doubly Mad. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one here on the wall because they placed, they did a little ad for our, our podcast in there. But there's an, if you look in there, you'll see a, a column called Slow Food Dude. Oh, okay. yeah, actually penned by Oren Domenico because he fancies himself a, a slow food dude. He had a he had an article ranting against uh, MP3 players uh, oh, two issues he? ago too. Yeah. Issue three. Well, he's going to have to get over that. I know. And suddenly we're the McLaughlin group. <laughs> Issue three. Next question. Guess what I did for three and a half hours yesterday, John? Let me guess. Entered entries into the blog. No, I made gluten-free pierogi. Wow. Sorry, yeah. I was drinking when he said that. I know. I caught him at a bad time. I almost did a spit take. Wow. Yeah. Well, I've made them before with my aunt, my now deceased aunt, my favorite aunt who died there like six weeks ago. How'd the dough come out? Um. Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to say it, John. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> is equals is. Yes. Imagine if is didn't equal is. If X didn't equal X, math would just be out the door. Yeah. I think um, it is anyway. Okay. What is, what, well, how is the dough? Well, you know, gluten is the, the it's property the, it's the force in the dough. that binds us. It goes through us. Yes. Through all living things, animate and inanimate. Yeah, something like that. The gluten makes dough stretchy. Without gluten, dough's not stretchy. It breaks. It's brittle. So you use guar gum and xanthan gum and egg yolks or egg whites, rather, and you make Kevlar to give it a little bit more. Yeah, Kevlar fiber to give it a little (laughs) more strength. So I spent a great deal of time with a gluten-free flour combination, and I, I got a product that I think is superior to the one I made with my aunt two years ago. Oh, she tried helping you out with that? Yeah, we used her recipe, which is very simple. Her recipe for pierogi dough is just white flour and um, sour cream. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is there sour cream in that? I, I Being a dairy guy, I, I was I used almond milk and egg whites hmm. and uh, this gluten-free flour combination. I just kneaded the heck out of it and came up with a nice dough. And I tell you, it was a lot more uh, pliable. It was mm-hmm. more stretchier. Stretchiness. It was most stretchiest. <laughs> and it... Um, it made some great pierogi. I, I'm a little bit excited about it because, as I think I've mentioned to you in the past, uh, there's a Christmas Eve traditional Polish celebration called Vigilia. And, of course, one of the courses is always pierogi. And uh, last there's several year, varieties probably, right? Yeah, fruit, pierogi, cheese, mm-hmm. and potato, which, of course, are the famous ones. But they stuff them with prunes and apples and sauerkraut and all kinds of stuff, yep. uh, the fruit around the holidays. So, yeah, last year I was lazy and didn't feel like making any, but, you know, I guess, uh, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to make them this year for a couple of reasons, but um, uh, I'm excited about it. And they, I cooked one up. They're in the freezer now, but I cooked one up, and they, they came out pretty good. I, I guess I should have added a little bit more salt to the dough because they're a little little blander than I remember them being. But you can I'll always just, add salt. It's hard to take salt away. Yeah, I'll just salt the hell out of the water when I boil yep. them, you know? Okay. Which reminds me, I, I, I'm really excited about making cookies this year. You know how I like to, to bake cookies. And, and You're like a regular Willy Wanker over here. <laughs> You're going to give me a bad reputation. Anyways, 
Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, holidays are coming up. I'm looking forward to gorging myself yet again. I read a statistic that between Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, the average American gains 10 to 13 pounds. Oh, I believe it. I've put on my share. And what's great about being a celiac is that I can't be tempted <laughs> by these goodies that are hanging around on people's tables because I simply can't eat them. Can you inoculate with me with something to give me celiac disease? Yeah, I'll stab uh, you in the eye with a fork that I ate from or something. Oh, thank you. Okay, issue four. Next question. <laughs> My friend Matt actually ran in the John McLaughlin um, um, DuPont Circle, yeah, which is near the studio where they uh, record that in D.C. Yeah, John used to live there, by the way, and my friend Matt still does. But anyway, issue four. Um, I was very excited when I went online and I ordered a, a DVD recently, which is going to be part of John and my home upcoming homework. Uh, if you want to watch it and do the homework with us, it's a film called Broken Wings. But this particular website knows my buying habits. And course, Let me guess which website that is. Well, there's more than one that do is it. it. The, is it the Nile River website? It might be. Okay. It's the Orinoco, actually. Oh, I see. <laughs> and um, so I log in and I, I check out that, uh, that, that movie, the Broken Wings uh, DVD, and then it says, other viewers who bought that have purchased this. And uh, a DVD, live concert footage of, like, my favorite band in the world, Gentle Giant, one of the great 70s progressive rock and roll bands. And for my money, the best 70s progressive <laughs> rock and roll band. Everyone else was just a pale progressive imitator compared to these guys. But anyway. You would call this... Crimson an imitator? Anyway, I didn't, I didn't even <laughs> want to get into that. But uh, this new thing is called Giant on the Box. It's uh, a DVD which includes... Two significant performances, one re recorded in Brussels, Belgium, I think, by a German filmmaker, and then one from the Long Beach Arena or something like that in California. And then there's a few other extras, uh, a black and white concert from Italy with a, an interview, a band interview in Italian. So that's we'll have to get with your mom to, <laughs> or something to translate that. But this is great because I never got to see Geno Giant play live, and they did play Utica. Remember the waterfront? Yeah. They played there in like 76 or 77. All my friends went, Tim and, you well, know. a lot of bands played Utica. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Giant, they, they're not Aerosmith, you know, I mean. No, I'm, I'm saying that back in the 70s, a lot of bands played played Utica because it was just a regular stop. It wasn't, it wasn't like they had to be getting these major venues like, uh, like down in New York City or Chicago or something. So having not seen the band, I was thrilled and immediately purchased that. And it was like 40 bucks or something. Who cares? Mm -hmm. It's live Gentle Giant concert footage. I've never seen it before. I never had the good fortune of seeing the band live. And it's from 74 and 75. And uh, it's before my favorite record came out, actually, Freehand. But they do some really great performances. The audio quality, the film quality is pretty good. Can't complain about any of it. And Facial um, expressions are off the hook. Facial expressions <laughs> are off the hook. Between They're off the, the heasy. Ray, Ray Shulman, the bass guitarist, and their drummer, John Weathers, are just, uh, the drummer in particular, the, the looks are off the hook. They're practically Muppets. And John and I both uh, know many musicians or are musicians. And uh, John's brother is famous for some facial expressions, <laughs> as, as are many of my friends. But these guys take it to a new level. They and, really and do. From, I, I know this firsthand. These expressions are not done on purpose. <laughs> it's completely... No, they don't realize they're doing it. Yeah. And so for those of you who don't know General Giant, you I don't know. If you you're into interesting music, complex music, you know, kind of, they they do medieval madrigals combined with sort of modern compositional uh, themes too. These yeah, guys if you're a are pop music, uh, if you're a pop music fan, these might be a little bit challenging for you, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah, so I think their website is gentlegiantmusic.com and that's actually maintained, I believe, by Carrie Minier, their keyboard player who handles all of the 
any Gentle Giant official products go through their website and he handles all the publishing. And actually, Carrie, if you're listening, make a record. Yeah. <laughs> Get together with the guys, make a record. I beg you. Yeah, the music industry definitely needs good stuff these and, days. In fact, he teased us too because the DVD includes like little intro music and when the DVD menu's up, you know, there's music playing. Mm-hmm. Carrie wrote, probably sequenced it and, you know, did it all in his home studio, but it sounds really cool. Yeah. And the riff is really jamming. It sounds so giant. It's killing me. So why not do a record with the guys? Yeah, he could probably write a program and put in all the different parameters to make all sorts of gentle giant music. Doesn't even have to get the guys together. He can do it himself. <laughs> well, he was a, one of the major songwriters, so he contributed a lot to their sound. So there may be a small amount of truth to that. But I think we got a tune. Speaking of music, let's yeah. play something. What do we got? Uh, you tell me. It's, I think it's called Eye Levels, the band. The band is actually Eye Level, and yep. this song is called Simple Intentions. And I had the good fortune of uh, getting to know these guys through where I work. And uh, he was kind enough to let us play uh, some of their music on the show. And like we said, this one's called Simple Intentions.
That was a nice track. What'd you think? That was that was pretty cool. I always uh, always like the organ thrown in there in the middle of a jazz tune. I'm wondering if it was sampled or if it was the real thing. I don't know. I think it I think it was a real thing. It sounded like it. Yeah, those guys are like I said, they're out of Syracuse. The band is called I Level. Their website is ilevelJazz.com, and I've gotten to know uh, Mark Capani, the guitar player, a little bit through my associations at work, and he can play. He uh, mm-hmm. he's a monster. All these guys are great. Love it. Yeah, they've even got a cover on that album. You said we couldn't play it. Dang, those recording rights things. Tell, well, what is it? Why don't you mention? Can what I even mention that? I think you can mention it. Okay. Um, it's a it's a Lennon McCartney tune. You've heard of them? Yeah, it's called We Can Work It Out. They do yeah. a cover on there. Well, we'll listen to that I'll later. I'll listen to that. Yeah. And you guys can grab the CD and listen to it yourselves. Yeah, ilevelljazz.com. Go buy it. So we've had some blog issues lately. Why don't you talk about yeah, that Yeah, blog bit? issues. It sounds like you need medication for that. Do they have medication? Got some, it's got I a got cream. some bloggage. Maybe a salve. Oh, a poultice. <laughs> I need a poultice. <laughs> yes. Good one. Oh, yeah, we had some blog issues. Um I think we've mentioned before on the show that, that we do, well, we had our blog hosted with Blogger. Was, I mentioned it on the solo show. Yeah, that's definitely. right. Definitely. Yeah, it's a free service. And, you know, what we did is we, we got up and going, got up and running with our blog and, and the, uh, the RSS feed using Blogger because it was uh, quick and dirty. I didn't feel like writing anything or hunting too much or setting up a server. Um, but you were writing. I, I was starting to. John was going to do a blog. And I had all sorts of grand themes and schemes and, and plans. So anyways, we had the... Uh, uh, blogger uh, as our hosting service and uh, what we had with blogger is it would post to our server it would render the pages and post to our server uh, whenever something was uh, an entry was put in and we had some trouble with that the posting service no longer worked right around december 1st too which was really weird it just yeah. stopped working and we think it might have something to do with the difference between passive and active ftp sessions yeah but that's some- all we know and and because it is a free service, you know, I'm I'm getting what I pay for and and we don't get any real support and because hosting services are what they are, they're they're not necessarily going to be investigating a whole lot. So I just decided, you know, this isn't a, a great time to transfer over to a real blog engine. So I I found um, I think it's movable type and uh downloaded that using the free version right now. Probably going to purchase it once we're up and rolling. So what I did is I installed that on our server and went through the painstaking process of setting up the the templates. Um, John has been working his ass off till like 3 a.m. some nights for the past week getting this going. John, show me your ass. I don't have like, one. It's, it's off. A, it's a bony thing. Go eat some lard or something. You, you said I've worked it off. It's It's gone. I know. And I'm looking at it. It's just not even there anymore. I can't even type with it anymore. How do and you it, sit with that thing? I mean, that's got to hurt. <laughs> Special chairs, prostheses. So yeah, that's the whole deal. Our, our blog went down. Um, hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, the blog will be up. If you if you're not hearing this, well, then I guess the point's moot. And what I like about the fact <laughs> I've mentioned this to John, I love the fact that the blog crashed because blogger. Well, like John said, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And we've got so much more power. And while I'm sure what John was going to write was going to be fantastic, being a full time dad and. Uh, you work too, right? You have a job, right? A couple. Yeah. So finding time for something like that was a problem, to say the least. So, I mean, and at the end of the day, movable type has been in development for four years. It's pretty powerful. It's got a lot of nice features. Yeah. It's going to look surprisingly. Plugins. Yeah. It's going to look surprisingly like our old site and yet different. Yes. But wait, there's more. What we're doing on the on the site. Is there's we, more? Yeah. And yet there's more? And there's more. 
what we've got on the site now, because we've moved to this new engine, is something that we haven't had before. The ability to do searches. Couldn't do that before. Searches are good. Yep. We can categorize each one of the posts, as well as create a specific feed for each type of category. So hopefully in the future, we'll be doing the things that we've been always saying we wanted to do was have it so that you could subscribe to, say, the movie feed. And anytime we're talking about independent movies, foreign films, you can find only those articles about which is, foreign films. Which is almost every podcast. Well, almost. that's true. But uh, we might get a little more granular. But it's cool. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I, I like the software. I think it looks great. John did a great job. I, I had a virtually no contribution to this. John's been working his ass off. And, no, Rich uh, has been doing a lot of heavy lifting. And, and by heavy lifting, I mean he's been putting all the entries back into the blog because we had to transfer the data. Well, yeah, I did. I We had to make the blog look like the old one. But I believe me, I have not stayed up past 1 a.m. to do it. I probably not <laughs> stayed up stayed up past midnight to do it. And John literally was up past 3 a.m. a couple of nights last week doing this. Including last night. Yeah, so it's cool. And, you know, once it's set, we'll probably, hopefully, won't have to worry about it again. Although, Will Wheaton, willwheaton.net, friend of ours, not really, but you know who he is, <laughs> Wesley Crusher from Star Trek. <laughs> friend he, of ours that I don't know at all. He was running movable type, I believe, and had some problems with it. In fact, he had to start up a blog on Blogger or something called Will Wheaton in Exile. So he went from movable type to Blogger? Just until he got his blog fixed. Huh. He not he he blogs so frequently that he needed a place to be able to do it right. in limbo temporarily while he or someone else was fixing his blog. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, the thing is with with anything like like movable type, it's an open system, so it can have all sorts of plugins added to it, modifications, customizations. It's got a data a real database on the back end, so I can't even imagine what would have gone wrong with it. It may not have had anything to do with the actual software. It might have been the configuration. Well, I'm sure Blogger has a real database on the back end, but we just don't have access they to it. They don't have people on the front end. <laughs> yeah, is what it right. Is. So, yeah, hopefully you'll see the new blog up by the time we post the show. I'm a little bit yeah. excited about it. And it's like, you know, like we said, it looks the same, kind of, but it's improved. It's new and improved. Yeah, and like anything else, now that we've got the hood open and we've got our arms in the engine and we've got, we got oil our hands up, all dirty, we're yeah, greasy. Yeah, if you've got any suggestions, let us know and we can probably add them in now while the, the hood's still open. That's right. So cool. We got more tunage. Tunage. And I don't even know what this is. Rich this keeps saying a, this is a secret. This has been, John has literally not heard even a millisecond of this song yet. He had to hit me with this gas like Batman and I would forget everything. I did, well, it was sort of like MI, Men in Black. I oh, held up right. the little thing and it flashed and you forgot everything. But this is um, solo Chapman Stick. We have played oh. some stuff with Chapman Stick on it in the past where it was part of an ensemble. But we haven't played any solo Chapman Stick. And once again, I have through my workplace, which is a music industry manufacturer, I've come to know Emmett Chapman a little bit inventor of the Chapman stick. Amazingly enough. It, what the, what's the coincidence? I mean, he, he invented something that's called the Chapman stick, and his name is Chapman. I know. What are the it's odds? crazy. So we wanted to feature some solo stick because the instrument's really cool, and you need to go to stick.com to um, see this instrument and see how it's played because there's some videos online, and then you'll appreciate the song even more once you see how it's played. But it's a tap guitar that's played with two hands. Traditionally, a guitar, you have to finger the note and then pluck it with your other hand. So each hand is involved in creating the one note. But on a tap guitar, each hand is playing its own note. So it's not unlike a piano where each hand is independent and can mm -hmm. play notes separate from one another. And it's just really cool. So Emmett was kind enough to send me a, a CD called Stick Night, which was recorded in and around the NAMM show a few years ago 
you know, he rented a ballroom or something and Stick put on a show of all of the great Stick players and they recorded it. So anyway, this is uh, a guy named Larry Tuttle, amazing Stick player, amazing composer, and he's playing a song called Spanish Mice, which is one of uh, my favorite solo Stick tunes that I've ever heard. So let's check it out. think of that john how did he get the stick to sound like a crowd at the end well yeah <laughs> that recorded was live at stick night that's great because if you've never seen a stick being played or if you've never seen what they look like 
Um, that wasn't like a multi-track recording. That was one guy, one instrument. Two hands, one instrument, mm-hmm. one guy. And he's wicked. He's got a bunch of projects going on now, ensemble projects, and his domain is actually called stringplanet.com, and he's doing some stuff with a violist, I believe. Really? A, a, a woman. I don't know if they're a couple, but he they are certainly musically. Don't start rumors. Yeah, they're a couple. <laughs> they're doing it. No, oh. I don't know. I don't have any idea, <laughs> actually. I'm sorry, Larry. You know, we're just having a little fun, but we love that. And there's a really strong piece on the CD by him as well called Soliloquy. And maybe we'll play that uh, in the future. Yeah, I actually have definitely. it here, but we'll play it in the future. Good stuff. So we're going to talk about a movie. Films. Films. Films good. Film good. Eh. I'm not going to say it. This is one of... John's and my favorites, and actually John had been away for a while and I didn't see him for a long time, and I didn't even know this was one of John's favorites. Mm-hmm. But this is a little something Were called... Were you surprised, though? No, I'm not. There it's a geek go. thing, I guess. I think anybody like us would probably like this film and like it a lot. Yeah. It's a, based on a book called Rocket Boys, and it's by Homer Hickam, the book, Rocket Boys. The film was titled October Sky, mm-hmm. and it's great. <laughs> there you go. Film review over. It was great. No, I think there's a lot more to say about it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a great story. You might know one of the the actors. This was before he was really big. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I think Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. I think that's how they're pronouncing it. Gylan Hell. Gylan Hell. No, I think it's Jake Gyllenhaal. That's the way I've heard it pronounced. So I suspect that's the way he he's been pronouncing it. But yeah, he plays Homer Hickam actually mm-hmm. in the film. True story. It is a true, a remarkable true story. Do you want to tell it or shall I? Well, I can give a quick summary. Go ahead. Kid grows up in West Virginia, coal mining town. His dad's essentially a supervisor of a coal mine. Coalwood, West Virginia. That's right. It's a it's a company town. Essentially, everyone works for the company. The houses are owned by the company. Everything's owned by the company. Um, And typical coal mining story, people are in danger all the time. There's always something going wrong. Um, And Homer's got some ambitions. He's got dreams. Yep. And in this town, you got out of the town, well, okay, there were basically two careers for you. You were either a football star, and you Mm -hmm. got a scholarship, and you went to college, or you went and worked in the coal mines. And Homer wanted to know, Homer Hickam, wanted to know why it had to be that way. And I think that's a great question for anybody to ask. Why? Why does it have to be like this? I mean, that's where change begins, right? Right. Unlike the the book, I mean, the book goes in in a little bit more detail about some of the motivations at the beginning, but it sounds like um, he had some kind of wandering spirit. He didn't know what to do with his life. He didn't really know where to go. He didn't really have any ambitions at first, and then he sort of fell into this whole rocketry thing, and, well, and that sort of driving him. But it, he didn't just fall into it. Something happened that made him suddenly get into rocketry, and well, what was that? Well, by the title of the, the, the movie, October Sky, it was Sputnik. Sputnik, yeah, and... Sputnik was launched, and he was just absolutely blown away by the concept of going into space and the idea that this satellite was flying overhead, emitting this beeping radio signal. Mm-hmm. And, and from that moment on, he knew what his calling was. Right. And he he made the most of it. And just like anyone else, he, he didn't just uh, – or anyone else who does something significant, he didn't just do it on his own. He got together a bunch of people, and he, he learned something. They all – cooperated in this whole rocketry club, this this uh, home-built rocketry club, scrounged together all the different parts, you know, against his father's wishes. Mm, 
I don't know about that. I, I reread the book. Uh, I've read the book about five times, actually, because it's so good. I think the dad, although he wouldn't admit it, was helping them the whole time. Uh, Do you think he was just trying to challenge him to make sure that it was something he was going to put his mind to instead of just I don't even know if it was – I don't know. How, I can't say that for sure. But in my interpretation of having read the book, the father would – grudgingly helped them. You know, he gave them the frog level launch pad, which became known as Cape Colwood. Mm -hmm. He was allowing his machinists to do work for him. And at one point in the story, he didn't even have to pay for the materials. Uh, And it required some very precision machining. I mean, these guys were doing calculus to figure out nozzle dimensions and, you know, giving these um, very sophisticated drawings to the machinists to do very sophisticated nozzles. Yeah, these aren't Estes rockets where you go into a toy store and you pick them up, you yeah, paint made them out of purple cardboard. and launch These guys it. were using steel tubes, again, using calculus to calculate proper uh, throat dimensions, mm-hmm. converging and diverging sections of the throat to get um, the proper amount of... Uh, well, he goes in, in the, it goes into it in the book about how you can get supersonic gas to be expelled right. based on nozzle dimensions and, and things like that. And they were even mixing up their own fuels. Yeah, yeah. they had they had two fuels that were uh, famous. They had rocket candy, <laughs> That's right, rocket candy, and zinco shine. <laughs> they were using the uh, a double distilled moonshine as a a liquid binder to mix it up into a slurry, right. and then they would pour it into the tubes, and the alcohol would evaporate because when they got air pockets, the rockets were exploding. That's right. Well, of course. I mean, it was great, but that's not what they wanted. They want these wanted these things to go as high as possible. Yeah, and in these calculus equations, you can actually choose how high you want the rocket to go. So mm-hmm. they would say, okay, we want this one to go 30,000 feet or 10,000 feet or, or whatever. What I love about this, though, is that Homer's dream was to go down and work for Werner von Braun at Cape uh, Canaveral in, in Florida. And he ended up enlisting in the army uh, for the Vietnam War and ended up, but ultimately he, well, no, let me, let me go back first mm-hmm. because his dream was to get out of Colwood on a scholarship. And he thought by perhaps entering the science fair, someone would notice that he and his friends were really smart. So what ended up happening was that these Colwood um, hillbillies, they even described themselves as that, so Mm -hmm. I'm not calling them names. They actually went on to the National Science Fair and won it. That's right. These little Colwoodians ended up winning the National Science Fair. And Werner von Braun actually was at that science fair and was totally blown away by Homer Hickam's uh, nozzles and rockets and display. But Homer Hickam had wandered away from his display and unfortunately never got to meet Homer Hickam. I'm sorry, never got to meet Werner von Braun. He met himself in the alleyway. Yeah, he did. And he did his dream was to go to work for NASA and after the Vietnam War he did go to work for NASA. So I mean this is this is a Cinderella story it really is. Yeah, the movie doesn't cover that whole phase of it. It, it covers the the time when he was in high school but but it's uh I think it's it's fairly I guess it's it's honest. It it's a They they dramatized it a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to, to because I haven't seen the movie in a while, and, and I, I read the book probably well, two the, years ago. The one area where, where they dramatized it, they Hollywoodized it, was yeah. Homer Hickam in the movie went to work in the mines. And at that point in his life, he had not gone and worked in the mines. Right, in fact. that's right. However, there are three books in the Colwood series. There is uh, October Sky, which is actually called Rocket Boys. And the second one, I can't remember the name. I have it. I'll lend it to you. And the third mm-hmm. one, I think, is Sky of Stone. And it describes a period where uh, Homer Hickam's dad, Homer Hickam Sr., was in trouble. 
And Homer did end up working in the mines. He worked huh. a whole summer to pay for tuition. He was at uh, Virginia Tech or something like that, studying engineering. And it turns out he's just a great writer. You know, maybe he yeah. shouldn't have studied engineering because his books are great. They're real. You, you, they make you want to go go to Colwood and live in that town. I mean, it's just <laughs> small town life at its best. And these guys were able to succeed. He and all of his friends were able to succeed and go on and not have to work in the mines as a career mm -hmm. and get out and do great things. Yeah. And what I liked about it was how he assembled the, the group of friends and, and they got some specialists in the group. You know, one guy who did the, the specialized math, one guy who did the machining or, or construction. Um, so it was a, it's a great story of friends, not just of uh, someone going to NASA at the end. And we think you're going to love it. So rent the film and... Read the book, even. What I love about this is that since Sputnik was launched in October of 1957, this movie was renamed October Sky. The original book, published by Homer Hickam, was called Rocket Boys. Mm -hmm. And the best part, I don't believe in fate, but the best part about this, and I don't know if I've ever told you this. No, the, I, I know what you're going to say. The best part about this is that October Sky and Rocket Boys are anagrams. The filmmaker, whose name I forgot, Joe something, was looking to retitle it because, you know, we've had The Rocketeer. We've had right. all these movies with rock in it. He wanted to, to set this film apart so that people wouldn't think it was one of these other films. So he was looking for a title, and he went to a website, an anagram website, and he plugged in Rocket Boys, and the computer, the web browser, spat out October Sky as an anagram. Perfect. And that happened to be the month that Sputnik was launched, which was Homer's whole inspiration. And again, I don't believe in fate, but I think... This makes me question that every once in a while, because if there was anything that was fated to be re something, <laughs> this title, Rocto Rocket Boys, was fated to be renamed October Sky. I mean, how perfect is that? No, it's, it's great. Absolutely amazing. Quick 13-second film review for you. Saw a film at the Munson Williams Proctor Institute ongoing film series, MWPAI.org. <laughs> Uh, called Everything is Illuminated. This film was tragic. It was heartwarming. It was amazing. You need to see this film. It will just change your week. I mean, it'll change your month. It's just an amazing piece of work. It's funny. It's just unbelievable. So go check out that film. There's even a hobbit in it. Yeah. One of the guys. What was it? Frodo. Frodo from... Um, Lord no, of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he plays one of the main characters in there. And it's just great. So definitely check out... Everything is Illuminated and Rocktober Sky. Rocktober and, Sky. <laughs> well, you know, we just came out of October, and one of the guys at work likes calling it Rocktober. So, Rocktober. What do you think? Rocket. Are we out of here? Claxons say we're out of here. I guess we are. So anyway, check out the new blog, www.bloodyveg.com or bloodyveg.com. <laughs> That's right. And hopefully you'll be able to send us feedback, feedback at bloodyveg.com. We have another email address too, don't we? We've got hundreds of email addresses, but actually feedback works. You can send it to feedback. You know, the holidays are coming. We'll take anything. Eggnog, <laughs> fruitcakes. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. How about just send us the open fire? Send us an open flames not prohibited, actually. Right. I think I read that somewhere on your front door. That's right. But anyway, we've enjoyed being with you again today where we were back and we're happy. I'm happy. Are you happy? I'm happy. But anyway, remember, you're listening to V.I.B. V.I.B.